Happy Holidays! Merry Christmas to all! Today is Christmas, and today is Wrestling Highlights of the Week Day. My name is Gerald Garrett, a.k.a. G2, and this is the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. No Impact Wrestling highlights will be provided to you this week nor next week because Impact Wrestling decided they're going to give us a year recap of what happened to Impact on both, well, this past episode and also next week's episode. So that's the reason why you will not be getting Impact Wrestling highlights on this week's episode and next week. Also, AEW Rampage, it will be coming on tonight, Christmas night. So I will be giving you AEW Rampage uh, results on my Sunday episode. But without further ado, uh, I'm going to do something different this week. For this week's episode, I'm going to give you a yearly observation of what I've seen on AEW Dynamite, AEW, well, not AEW Rampage, because Rampage only been on for a couple months, but Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and Impact Wrestling. Also, I will be giving you uh, a couple of my favorite wrestlers of the year and a couple other things, but I'll get to that when I get there. But without further ado, let's start off with the show. All Raw, you have Bianca Belair going against Dewdrop, and this is their third match encounter. And Bianca wins the match by pinfall when Bianca was finally able to hit the KOD on Dewdrop to win the match. Bianca Belair has proven to us this year that she is literally the strongest uh, female on the female roster for WWE. And I'm going to get more into Bianca later in the show. After this match, we have Finn Balor going against Austin Theory. Finn Balor won the match by pinfall by hitting the coup de grace on Austin Theory. Uh, we have the Mysterios going against AJ Styles and Omos. The Mysterios won the match by pinfall when Ray rolled up AJ Styles after Omos didn't want to get tagged in by Styles. After the match, AJ walked up to Omos and told him that he should have never put Omos under his wing after he... Omos didn't want to get tagged in, and he calls him a piece of trash. Omos shoves AJ, and then AJ attacks Omos, but that happened to no avail because all those little petty hits cannot stop a big toppling giant. Omos was able to put AJ on the shoulders, toss him up in the air, and let AJ's body hit the mat. Omos then got on the mic and told AJ that the next time you see him, it will be in a match, and it gets announced that this upcoming episode on Monday Night Raw, it will be AJ Styles going against Omos. After this, we had Randy Orton going against Chad Gable with Otis in his corner. Randy won the match by pinfall whenever he was able to hit RKO on Chad Gable. It was a real short match. After the match, Otis came into the ring and tried to attack Randy, but Randy saw this coming and tried to hit the RKO on Otis, but Otis was able to push Randy off. Randy tried again with the RKO, but to no avail, Otis was able to push Randy off again. And then Randy tried one more time, still to no avail. So Randy failed three times at trying to hit the RKO on Otis, but Otis was able to push Randy off of him. And it also was announced that next week, well, this upcoming week on Raw, it'll be Otis going against Randy Orton. After that match, we had Damian Priest going against Dolph Ziggler with Bobby Roode in his corner. Dolph was able to win the match by countout when Bobby pulled Damian Priest off the ring apron and then uh, Damian fell to the ground. Damien popped up, and then this whenever he had the second switch, and he just basically turned into the evil madman that Damien has inside of him, and he snapped and started attacking Bobby Roode, which led to a countout. The referee announced, well, told the ring announcer that Dolph would win the match by countout. When the ring announcer announced the countout victory, 
Damian Priest got in the ring and went after Dolph Ziggler, but Dolph attacked him first and left the ring. Then Dolph sprinted up the entrance ramp, which led Damian Priest to exit out of the ring and then pick up Bobby Roode and hit the reckoning on Bobby. And then it was announced also on this upcoming week episode of Monday Night Raw, it will be Damian Priest going against Dolph Ziggler with the United States Championship on the line. After this match, we had Rhea Ripley going against Queen Selena Vega, and we had Carmella and Nikki A.S.H. They were banned from ringside. Rhea won the match by pinfall after hitting the riptide on Selena. Easy match there. And in the main event, we had Bobby Lashley and Big E going against Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Big E and Bobby won the match by pinfall when Bobby was able to hit Kevin Owens with a spear and cover him for the win. Immediately after the match, Seth Rollins was able to hit Bobby with the curb stomp as Bobby was still on top of Kevin Owens. And then Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens sent Bobby Lashley to the outside of the ring and attack both Bobby and Biggie with steel steps. Seth then lifted up Bobby onto Kevin Owens so he could hit his apron powerbomb on Bobby Lashley. And then they put Bobby Lashley's head on the steel steps so Seth Rollins could deliver the curb stomp onto Bobby. And that was the end of your Monday Night Raw highlights of the week. After this, we had NXT. NXT comes on and it's announced that next, well, on the January 4th edition on NXT, which will be New Year's Evil, it will be Tommaso Ciampa going against Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship. First match of the night was a street fight, which had Dakota Kai going against Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel won the match by pinfall when she was able to hit Dakota with the Dakota Bomb on a trash can for the win. This is a must-see. If you're going to see a uh, match on this show, you got to see this street fight because it doesn't start off in the ring as most street fights usually do. It started off literally in the backstage and then worked its way to the street, the parking lot, and then it started working its way into the ring and you had trash can lids, you had uh, trash cans, you had tables, you had chairs, you had kendo sticks, you had everything under the sun that these two women basically beat the crap out of each other. And in the end, Raquel will get the win. But I implore you, please go watch this match. You won't be disappointed. Anyway, after the match, uh, Raquel got on the mic and called out Mandy Rose for a title match. But Cora J comes out. Cora has words with Raquel, saying that she's next in line. Raquel says that she will demolish anybody that gets in her way, whether it be friend or foe. Ultimately, Mandy Rose pops up on the Titantron and announces that at New Year's Eve, it will be a triple threat match for the NXT Women's Championship between all three of those ladies. After this, we had the Creed Brothers with Malcolm Bivens going against the Grizzly Young Veterans, which went into a no contest when Brutus Creed was going to powerbomb James Drake through Jacket Time's commentary table because Jacket Time came out midway through the match and they set up their own commentary table so they can do commentary. Jacket Time wouldn't allow Brutus to do this. So the Creed Brothers got into Jacket Time's face, and this allowed the Grizzly Young Veterans to push the Creed Brothers into Jacket Time, and then Jacket Time punched the Creed Brothers in the face, which led to all three of these tag teams brawling with each other, which led to uh, Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen to come out and start attacking the Grizzly Young Veterans. It seems to me that they're setting up for a eight-man tag match next week. It doesn't get announced, but it seems like they're setting that up. Anyway, after this, we had Dexter Loomis going against Trick Williams with Carmelo Hayes in his corner. Dexter won the match by submission when he locked in the silencer on Trick 
and Trick passed out. After the match, Grayson Waller would hit Dexter Loomis in the back with a steel chair. Uh, Grayson Waller basically came out and he waited for AJ Styles to come out because he, during the week, well, during the weekend, uh, Grayson Waller called out AJ Styles saying that he's washed up, he's old, he's uh, a guy that basically needs to be taken to the woodshed and put out of his misery. AJ pops up on NXT, he looks up Grayson Waller up and down and told him that he's basically a fleeting star, if you will. He says that Grayson Waller has potential, but the jury's still out on him. They don't see him being a superstar. He called out Braun Breaker being a superstar. He said Tony D'Angelo is a superstar. Carmelo Hayes, superstar. Grayson Waller, not so much. The jury's still out on him. AJ and Grayson Waller got into some heated words back and forth. And then AJ said, matter of fact, let's just fight right now to get this over with. Grayson Waller said, nah. He says, as a matter of fact, after Omos is done with you, I'm up next. So we're setting up Grayson Waller to have a little thing with AJ Styles. So it might be AJ being in NXT for a little bit, just to kind of uh, give AJ something to do to pass time after his little uh, match with Omos next week on Monday Night Raw. That's where I see this thing headed. Anyway, after this, we would get Michael Bivens backstage with Diamond Mind, and Michael Bivens basically challenged Carmelo Hayes to a match with Roderick Strong going against Carmelo Hayes, title versus title at New Year's Evil. Carmelo accepts later on in the night, and it gets announced that next week on NXT, it'll be a contract signing between Carmelo Hayes and Roderick Strong, title versus title. So basically, winner takes all at New Year's Evil. Roderick Strong being the Cruiserweight Champion, and Carmelo Hayes being the North American champion, whoever wins will get the uh, loser's belt at New Year's Evil. After this, we get Von Wagner going against Idris Inafi. Idris will win the match by pinfall when he reversed uh, Von Wagner's powerbomb into a pinning attempt, and he would get the win off of that. After the match, Von Wagner would attack Idris and hit him with an angle slam in the ring, and it's set enough for Von Wagner to almost be managed by Robert Stone, because Robert Stone was out there to watch the match, and uh, Von Wagner kind of got put off by Robert Stone just being there, and it looked like uh, Von was trying to impress Robert Stone after the match. After this, we get Electra Lopez with Legado del Fantasma in her corner, going against Io Shirai. Io Shirai will win the match by pinfall after a distraction from Zion Quinn. Zion Quinn came to the match, well, came to the ring, and took out Legado del Fantasma, and then got on the ring apron and pulled out a mistletoe and distracted Electra Lopez. Uh, Santos Escobar pulled Zion off the ring apron, and this allowed Io Shirai to hit Electra with a palm strike and then a moonsault for the win. Now it's time for the main event, Pete Dunn going against Tony D'Angelo. Pete Dunn will win the match by pinfall when Pete Dunn was able to hit the bitter end on Tony for the win. It was a great match to end NXT. However, after the match, Tony uh, tried to attack Pete Dunne from behind, but Pete Dunne sensed it and attacked Tony first. Pete Dunne would send Tony D'Angelo to the outside of the ring and proceeded to brawl, but Tony was able to send Pete Dunne into the announce table and then hit a spinning fisherman suplex on the outside. Tony then grabbed the crowbar and posted up Pete Dunne onto the announce table and then hit Pete Dunne's right hand with the crowbar leaving Pete Dunne uh, writhing in agony as he's on the floor. And Pete Dunne 
needs his hands because he usually likes to try to break other people's fingers with his hands. So if Tony D'Angelo took out uh, Pete Dunne's hand, Pete Dunne won't be able to break anybody's fingers. And that's the end of your NXT uh, highlights of the week. Now on to AEW Dynamite. And let me just say this right now. AEW Dynamite was the show of the week, hands down. Because it starts off hot. We get Adam Cole going against Orange Cassidy. Adam Cole wins the match by pinfall thanks to the debuting of Kyle O'Reilly. As Kyle O'Reilly came into the ring and attacked Orange Cassidy while the referee was distracted by Bobby Fish on the outside. Cole then was able to hit Orange Cassidy with the running knee behind the head, the boom, and then pin him to win the match. After the match, Kyle O'Reilly continued to attack Orange Cassidy until Adam Cole pulled uh, Kyle O'Reilly off of Orange Cassidy and they had a stare down, basically proceeding to them still like giving it up to their NXT like feud that they had because last time you saw these two men in the ring, they didn't have, they were not on the best of terms of NXT and AEW does a good job at, you know what, we're not just going to let the past just be the past, meaning that if it happened in the past, we're going to bring it up. We're not just going to act like it never happened the way that WWE does it a lot. AEW likes to continue the storylines, whether you are in one company and you're jumping over into this next company, we're going to continue that storyline that you guys basically had and just basically incorporate it into our own. Uh, Truck, Taylor, and Trent came into the ring, but they got destroyed by all three members, Adam Cole, uh, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly. And after they beat up on Chuck and Trent, you saw all three men just basically stand right beside each other like they did whenever they all came in after uh, NXT Brooklyn in 2017. And they stood literally side by side, like picture perfect, the exact same way that they did when they came in uh, at the end of NXT Brooklyn 2017 and then you see the Bucks coming down to the ring and they get into the ring they ask Adam what is this and Adam is looking at Kyle and Bobby Fish and he looks back at the Young Bucks and you just see him kind of like talk to the Bucks and I think he's trying to tell him like it's okay it's all right we're good and then he leaves out of the ring and he just like waves his finger off to Kyle and at Bobby to follow him and they get out of the ring and they follow Adam Cole and so it seems to me like Adam Cole got both of his boys back with him now so it looks like uh, we are getting the Undisputed Era without the Undisputed Era name in AEW. And it would be announced that uh, all three of those men, the group formerly known as the Undisputed Era, going against the best friends in Orange Cassidy next week on AEW uh, Dynamite. Also, it gets announced that on the first episode of AEW Dynamite on TBS on January the 5th, it will be a rematch between Brian Danielson and Heyman Page for the AEW World Championship. And they will have three referees, well, not three referees, three judges down there to watch the match. And if it gets to a count, not even a count, if they get to a time limit draw again, it will go down to those three refer three judges to pick who is the winner of the match. Almost basically UFC boxing style. After this, we had Warlow with Sean Spears in his corner going against Sean Dean. Warlow win the match by pinfall, real easy, after delivering four powerbombs to Sean Dean and covered him. After the match, Sean Spears got in the ring and hit Sean Dean with the steel chair, and then they left. It seems to me that Warlow is basically constantly still getting tired of MGF and the Pinnacles crap, 
because before the match happened, you had a backstage uh, segment of MGF talking to Warlow, talking about how he should have already bought the champagne last week and talking about how uh, he's uh, starting to get tired of Warlow a little bit. But then he had to cool himself off and say, you know what? This is CM Punk's fault. And he started talking about CM Punk. Uh, again, MJF is slowly getting on Warlow's nerves. Warlow didn't seem phased by this. But it seems to me that Warlow is slowly but surely going to snap off into MJF's butt and really, like, tear off a foot all up in it. And I can't wait for it uh, to happen, to be honest with you. After the match, we get the semifinals of the TBS Championship Tournament between Ruby Soho and Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero in Nyla's corner. Ruby will win the match by pinfall when she was able to hit her finisher, uh, the no future or the riot, riot kick, whatever you want to determine it, on Nyla Rose for the win. Solid woman's match. And now, the winner will now have to face either Jade Cargill or Thunder Rosa, and that match will happen on next week's uh, episode of Dynamite between Jade and Thunder Rosa, and then that winner will go against uh, Ruby Soho on the first episode of AEW Dynamite on TBS on January 5th. After this match, we had Malachi Black going against Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. in Griff Garrison's corner. Malachi won the match by referee stoppage when he applied a single-leg crab on Griff and the referee had to stop because Malachi was attacking Griff Garrison's uh, leg constantly throughout the match. After the match, Malachi didn't let, want to let go of the hold, so Brian Pillman got in the ring and attacked Malachi from behind. Once he did this, Malachi got off of him, and then Brian looked after Griff Garrison to make sure he's all right. Then once he did that, he went over to Malachi, is about to attack him, but Malachi was able to hit Brian Pillman in the face squared with the roundhouse kick or the black mass, and Brian Pillman got knocked out. And that was the end of that. Now it's time for the main event, your six-man tag. It's MJF and FTR going against CM Punk, Darby Allin, and Sting. And Punk's team won the match by pinfall after Punk was able to hit Dax Hartwell with a GTS, then Sting delivered a Scorpion Death Drop. Then Darby Allin was able to hit him with a Coffin Drop for the win. Well, Punk covering Dax for the win. It was a fun main event, and here's the unique part about this. Sting makeup is usually the typical black and white makeup that he usually wears. But this week's episode, he wore CM Punk's t-shirt logo as his face paint. While Sting, on the other hand, he wore Chicago colors, basically the black, uh, white, red, and blue of Sting's old face paint that he wore in his beginning wrestling phase as a part of a tag team with him and the Ultimate Warrior, the Blade Runners. He wore Sting's old face paint on his face. And Sting also, not Sting, but CM Punk also wore uh, Sting's, a custom-made, like, Sting's old type of ring gear of tights, when he's wearing black tights with a scorpion on his side. And in that scorpion, it still had the Chicago colors as well, the light blue, the white, the red. So... Punk still represents Chicago in his gear, but he also paid tribute to Sting, the man that he's teaming up with in this match. While Darby, he wore pink and black as his face paint, and he had pink uh, hair. Again, it was a fun match, great match. MGF ran from CM Punk all the time throughout this match, 
it it basically set it up for whenever MJF and CM Punk do have a match, it's going to be special because those two never lock up, ever. Also, MGF did take a nasty fall in this match when Sting threw him over the ring and, like, he was supposed to get caught by FTR, and he did get caught by FTR, but his head and his neck was able to hit the floor first and it to look like a nasty fall. And everybody on Twitter and everybody else noticed that, and we were all hoping that MGF is fine so he can have a long and healthy career because, remember, folks, wrestling is predetermined. Wrestling does have... Uh, these men and women out there doing these choreographed moves, but let's not get it twisted. One wrong move can end these people's whole career, and as a matter of fact, literally, it can be the thing between life or death in certain instances. Certain people have died in the ring off of a move gone wrong. Just want to keep that remember for everybody. Pay respect to all these people that are performing these wrestling moves, and please, to God, do not try these moves at home, because again, these are trained professionals. They went through wrestling school. They know what they're doing. But again, even with them, one wrong move, they can either end up paralyzed or they can end up with a nasty injury that will literally be with them for the rest of their life or cut their career short. Just want to really want to get that through people's skulls here. Anyway, that's the end of AEW Dynamite. But still, check out AEW Dynamite match and show of the week. Literally. After this, now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a SmackDown Women's Championship between Charlotte Flair and Tony Storm. Great way to open up SmackDown. Charlotte wins the match by pinfall when Charlotte reversed out of Tony Storm's inside cradle and pinned Tony's shoulders down to the mat, and the referee made the count. Again, great one-on-one match, and this was their first one-on-one technical match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. It was a great match, but I know Tony's potential Charlotte Flair's potential as well. These two are going to have more matches down the line. And whenever they do, it's going to up this first match. Because again, solid first match for the Women's Championship between these two. But I guarantee you their next match for the Women's Championship is going to be better than this one. Without a doubt. After this, we had a 12 Days of Christmas Gauntlet match. Where the winner of the match will be the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. The competitors in this match were as follows... Uh, Drew Gulak, Shanky, Cesaro, Humberto, Jinder Mahal, Angel, Sheamus, Ivar, Eric, Mansoor, Ricochet, and Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn won the match by pinfall when he was able to hit the Haluva kick on Ricochet and pin him for the win. So Sami Zayn will get his number one, uh, he will get his Intercontinental Championship match more than likely against Shinsuke Nakamura at day one. And then in your main event, we would get the Miracle on 34 uh, Street Street Fight between the Usos and Mad, and Mad Cat Moss going against New Day and Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre and the New Day won the match by pinfall when Drew Claymore kicked Moss in the face after both him and Corbin were doused in eggnog. Uh, it was a fun, silly match to end SmackDown. On Christmas Eve, we get it. SmackDown's entertainment. Well, WWE's entertainment, but it has wrestling in it. But you got to expect the entertainment part of out of it. Uh, solid match. SmackDown was solid. The main thing that they want you to understand on SmackDown this episode was that Paul Heyman is conflicted on what he's going to do with his career now because now that he got fired by Roman Reigns, and um, 
they play highlight packages of Paul Heyman's past career as a guy that was a manager in WCW for the Dangerous Alliance. Um, then he started ECW that basically revolutionized the professional wrestling industry and basically uh, jump-started the Attitude Era for WWE. And then he came into WWE in 2002 and was the manager for Brock Lesnar, and he stayed with Brock Lesnar until he jumped over to Roman Reigns. And now these two big behemoths about the clash, and Paul Heyman's out of a job after he told the troops to Roman Reigns last week. And again, they don't know what they want to do with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman said, told the world that he doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't have any idea where he's left to go now. He doesn't know if he's has anything left to accomplish. Basically, he doesn't know if he's basically done because he's not going to NXT and trying to do the exact same thing that he did with Brock Lesnar with any new talent down at NXT. He already stated that. That's not happening. So he doesn't know if his career is over. That's the big like takeaway that they want you to understand on SmackDown. So you basically got to basically watch at day one, because I have a feeling Paul Heyman is going to have his hands in on day one, whether who's going to be the new or remaining Universal Champion, whether it be Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. That's the match that you're going to want to see uh, next Saturday at day one, because best believe I'm definitely watching to see that match. And that's your SmackDown highlights of the week. Now, I'm going to talk about each of these shows respectfully as a year round of review. And I want to start off with AEW Dynamite to basically get this out of the way real quick, real simple. AEW Dynamite for 2021 has been fire. It has not slipped up. There's been certain episodes, maybe you could say they probably slipped up or it went slow or whatever the case. But AEW Dynamite has more or less hit it out of the park nine times out of ten throughout this whole year. You had debuts, you had surprise returns, you had people coming in, you had title changes. Now, I don't... Yeah, on AEW Dynamite, yeah. But, again, AEW Dynamite, they didn't have no misses that you really could say, like, oh, they really missed this one, or they killed this. No, 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 no. They killed it out of the park on AEW Dynamite this year. So there's no thing that I can technically say bad about AEW Dynamite uh, this year. Literally. Nothing. So I just want to throw that out the way right here. The only thing that I would say for AEW as a whole, is that if you're going to do something, make sure you have pre-ran it and make sure it's done right. My two examples are, and I hate to mention this, well, technically, no, I don't, because this is part of what I mean, is obviously the John Moxley and Kenny Omega uh, explosive death match at the beginning of the year at AEW Revolution. Great match between Moxley and Omega, but at the end of it, it's supposed to have the ring detonate and have uh, Pyro going around it. But when it was time and the timer hit zero and you had Eddie Kingston covering John Moxley, John Moxley to uh, make sure that he was safe and sound, it was nothing but small little itsy-bitsy Pyro going off. It wasn't like, oh my God, it wasn't like the MFMW uh, Pyro that was supposed to go off in like in FMW the type of pyro that they were trying to mimic in copy. Nah, it was little pew, 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 pew. Like, if you see the clip, and I was so, uh, I was so like, oh man, that is terrible to see this happen. But 
that again, that's what happens when you don't have uh when you don't run it and do a test before the show begins, or at least the day before the show. You gotta run these type of things over and over to make sure that it goes right for whenever the show happens and it's time for the big boom to happen, it goes off without a hitch. So that's my first example. And the second example, a couple weeks ago, Malachi Black spitting the black mist into Julia Hart's face. It didn't hit Julia Hart's face as much. It didn't even whiff her that much. If you go back and look at the uh, show in the footage, that mist didn't even spray her like that. It got a couple of black spray, whatever you want to call it, uh, data on her face, but it wasn't like, oh my God, he sprayed her in the face like the way that she screamed about it. And the way that Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. try to cover her face and like, oh my God, you got sprayed in the face. Nah, nah, Chief, you guys got to do it. You guys got to go and do it, do it. If you're going to do this, you guys got to do it. And I mean, like, really do it. Don't get stupid and be like, oh, well, it's because of we're in this new era, this new climate. No, if you're going to do this, you guys got to do it and commit all the way and just do it. That's my whole thing. So those are my two examples that, yo, you guys got to pre-test it and run it out and just to make sure it's all right to do and that it's good, it's going to look good on camera. So that's my thing. Oh, yeah, that uh, blood and guts match with (laughs) Pinnacle going against the inner circle with MGF throwing Jericho off the cage and you see him supposed to smash through the entrance ramp in the stage, but he went through like cardboard and it was supposed to look like he went through the stage in like the steel, but it was cardboard and the camera angle. They should have, t- somebody in the production truck should have knew better about that. Not to like show off that portion of the camera. But again, trial and error, still a new company, but they were able to hit it out the park nine times out of the 10 throughout this whole year. So that's my only type of critiques that I do have for AEW Dynamite. SmackDown, same thing. More or less throughout this whole year, it was fire because it was two hours and you know what you're getting with these two hours. For this whole year, you knew that you were looking at the Roman Reigns storyline to keep you interested into the SmackDown product. And I'm not trying to discount any other wrestlers that's on the show that's putting on amazing wrestling. Like when Big E was there on SmackDown, you had the Big E being the Continental Champion and him winning the uh, Money in the Bank briefcase. And we're wondering whenever he's going to cash in or... Um, the storyline between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, Bianca and Sasha having their little thing, and then Bianca having her feud with uh, Bailey, and then uh, Becky comes in, and then I'm not discounting any person on SmackDown uh, from the beginning of the year towards the like literally the end of the year. I'm not discounting any of you, but as we all know, SmackDown is the Roman Reigns show. It's an island of relevancy. It's his show. There's no more that you can say about that. You guys can say whatever you want. Yes, we have Seth Rollins and Edge doing their thing on SmackDown, but now they're on Raw. But really, throughout this whole year, and literally probably about the mm, August of last year to now, has literally been the Roman Reigns show for SmackDown. SmackDown is literally Roman Reigns show with phenomenal and great wrestling on the product. So SmackDown, I can't say nothing like, terrible or anything bad about it one thing that i will say is this and i will give you guys this one critique i want you guys to build up some other storylines besides roman 
Because right now, Roman has nobody to go after after he does this whole Brock Lesnar thing. We know he's going after Drew McIntyre or Drew's going after Roman probably towards mm, WrestleMania time. After that, what does Roman got to do? Roman will probably lose to Drew. Well, we're going to have Roman take off for a month or two. And then when he comes back, who do we got him lined up for? Or who is the top uh, heel after Roman? Or who's the top good guy after Drew McIntyre? This is what I'm saying. We need to line up people in positions so they can do what they got to do on SmackDown. And that includes uh, WWE as a whole, because that's WWE's whole problem. They put all their eggs into legit one basket and don't really focus out on other individual superstars. The only product that I can say for WWE that actually does this is NXT. They do focus out on other characters, but I'll get to NXT in a minute. SmackDown. (laughs) No... Big critiques, but that's probably the only critique that I would give you. You guys need to start figuring out, okay, who's next in line? Who's this guy? We need to start building these people up. So once this person falls, this person can step up. Or if this person gets injured, this person steps up. We need to have that already built up and in line. Also, the Intercontinental Championship needs to be defended more. Because when you put up the smash statistics between Damian Priest and Shinsuke Nakamura in title defenses. Damian Priest is blowing Shinsuke Nakamura out of the water, and Damian just won the uh, United States Championship, what, in SummerSlam? And Nakamura won the Intercontinental Championship. Who did he win it from? See, that's even a problem. I can't even remember who Nakamura won the Intercontinental title from. Let me Let me think. Okay, Nakamura won it from who? Uh oh yeah, Apollo Cruz. My God, see, see how I even had to figure that one out. He wanted from Apollo Cruz, dude. Come on, see that's what I'm saying. That's that's terrible. If I had to figure that one out, like, dude, that's a ugh, I, that should have came to me like fast because I'm a guy that knows things, and I'm a guy that usually spits out wrestling facts real quick. But this one, it took me a minute to just figure it out. Matter of fact, it took me a couple seconds technically to figure out who Nakamura won the Intercontinental Championship away from. And that's a problem right there. The Intercontinental Championship needs to be put up higher up and go back to his old workhorse status. And that's the thing. We don't have nobody to go against Nakamura. Right now we got Sammy to go against him, but I don't know if Sammy's winning or Nakamura's winning. Me, if I had my choice, I'll have Sammy win so Nakamura can team up with Boogs and give them the tag team run and give them the tag team titles if that's what you guys want to do. Because it seems to me that you guys are a lot more interested in Rick Boogs guitaring and doing this whole theatrics of guitar with Nakamura. And you can do that with the tag team championships and also have him be on television a lot more so you can uh, Rick give Rick Boogs that allotted television time and exposure a lot more than just him being the guitar man for Nakamura. But anyway, that's just my critique on the SmackDown product. Get more people in lined up position to take up the spots that's needed, as in the top baby face, the tab, top bad guy, the top good guy, that type of deal, after uh, certain people are out of position so these next people can be the next ones in line. That's my critique on the SmackDown side. Now on to uh, NXT. NXT had a whole rebrand from this year. This beginning of the year, it was black and gold, and then 
midway of August, it changed over to the colorful NXT, and they say NXT 2.0. I'm never saying 2.0, because that just sounds completely stupid. Just keep it NXT. You just got a new look, new feel. We all understand what it is. You don't got to say 2.0. Again, I don't like the name of it. It's so dumb, but that's WWE rebranding for you. Um, NXT this year, I'm not going to say nothing completely like damning to them because again, they're still in the rebrand. They're still in the get everything right focus stage and how they want this thing to happen. The only thing I'm going to say is this for NXT. NXT this year for 20, even early 2021, that's what I'm getting at before the whole rebrand. It felt off to me. 2021's NXT, the black and gold, felt off, and it felt completely weird. Because I just looked back at the in-house, in-your-house uh, uh, pay-per-view uh, match card, and I looked at it compared to 2020's match card, and you could tell the complete difference of the match cards. Complete difference. If you look back at that one, just alone, look at that one. And then if you want to go back and look at... um. The takeovers like of the SummerSlam of Variety. You can look at those from basically NXT TakeOver 30 compared to NXT TakeOver 36. You can tell the difference of match quality there. Again, big difference. 2021 just seemed really, really different. And it seemed like NXT, the people that were running NXT knowing, knew that, yo, we're about to really go through a different time slot. Not even time slot, a different change so we're going to have to do certain things to uh get people prepared and get people set up in position that's whenever the new rebrand came up and now you get new stars literally out the woodwork every almost every episode of new guys just basically being popped in tony d'angelo is new carmelo hayes is technically new even though he came in at the end of the black and gold phase his character of him being the I don't miss guy and the guy that's just that guy by him being the North American champion, calling him the the A champion. He him with Trick is technically new. Um Diamond Mind as the whole faction, the legit pre- presentation, even though Diamond Mind came in literally at the end of the black and gold brand, it's new. You got the Cree brothers, new people. You got the coach, new. You got Ivy Nile, who's new. Roderick Strong is still of the black and gold era of NXT. Malcolm Bivens, black and gold, but again, coming to the end of the black and gold era, he came out last year when he was supposed to be managing Indy Shear, and then Indy Shear technically got called up, and then he was gone, and then now you see him with Diamond Mind. Malcolm Bivens is a gold mine, by the way. Keep him on television. He can talk his butt off, by the way. Um, who else is new? Uh, Grayson Waller, new. And they're trying to do something with Grayson Waller. Uh, Persia, uh, who is Indy's tag team partner, new. Uh, Toxic Attraction as a whole, the faction, completely new. Like I said, NXT, the new rebrand, is bringing in people that are new. I mean, even though Mandy Rose is of the old school variety, she was in NXT for a little bit, and she was on the main roster majority of her time, Mandy Rose, the person in the entity and the personality, the way that she's 
um, presented now in the new school of NXT is completely different than when she was on the main roster. So again, I'm not going to criticize the new school way of NXT yet because they haven't even hit the six month mark of critiqueness to me. So I'm not critiquing them like hard. I'm not going to do that. But NXT, you could just tell from the beginning of 2021 to whenever they did end off after uh, SummerSlam, WrestleMania, not WrestleMania, but uh, TakeOver 36, from the beginning of NXT from 2021 to that TakeOver, you could tell that NXT was on a downward uh, trajectory. It was completely downward. It was weird. It was different. I mean, you had certain hits in this era with um, the Undisputed Era breaking up and Finn Balor having the match between him and Adam Cole and then Adam Cole and Kyle Riley having their match. You had Hit Row coming into NXT, which was a bright spot for them, but then they got called to the main roster and you know what happened to them after that. I mean, it's just so weird, NXT this year. There were some bright spots, but a lot of really questionable uh, mishaps in NXT. But again, they decided to rebrand. We're getting something new. I'm not criticizing the new rebrand yet. It hasn't been six months all the way. It hasn't even been six months yet. Once the six months hit, then you'll see me go back and I will critique them. Matter of fact, no, I won't. I'll probably next year again and then i'll probably be like okay then i'll probably look at it in all totality since they had a legit whole year to do their business i will see how they basically jump-started themselves oh yeah and how can i forget the biggest star out of the newest rebrand of nxt braun breaker the son of rick steiner the nephew of scott steiner the man that everybody wants to see and NXT, and they can't wait for him technically to be called into the main roster because there's no way. <laughs> there is a way that WWE can screw him up, but I don't see WWE technically screwing him up because this is WWE-esque on the developmental side for NXT, literally. So again, Braun Breaker, I don't see them like truly screwing up, but again, anything can happen in WWE, especially when you get called out to the main roster. <clears throat> now, on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling, I've seen it. I like what they're doing. I just wish they were on a better network. Um, their camera quality needs to get better, which I don't know if that's just access or whoever I need to talk to for that for Anthem, but yo, dog, y'all picture quality on certain on my television, it looks all right, but I got to mess with the uh, color a little bit just to get it picture perfect right but i mean impact wrestling there was truly like really no like downs on it i mean the only downs you can say is like oh my god the fans weren't there until like the last couple uh episode of impact wrestling but impact wrestling they did what they had to do this year they teamed up with aew and they brought you in uh kenny omega the best bout machine kenny omega was carrying the impact banner for literally a good portion of this year for Impact Wrestling. And then he even brought in J Impact brought in Jay White. They brought in Finn Juice. They brought in Kenny Omega. They had Minoru Suzuki. They brought in um uh who else did they bring in? Hikaleo. I mean they brought in El Fantasmo. 
Um, they even got Mickey James in. You had the inclusion of NWA part partnership with uh, Impact in this. Um, I mean, you just had a different variety of people being brought into the Impact Wrestling family and into the Impact Wrestling uh, roster scene a little bit throughout this year. And that increased Impact's value on the wrestling market. Because when you're able to say that you brought in Kenny Omega, Jay White, and all these other names from New Japan to come over to your show, it makes people on the internet, it makes people that are wrestling purists to actually want to find your show out and watch and see what you're doing. So Impact Wrestling, no real big drawbacks on them, except for they just don't, they don't have the greatest uh, station to really like play their wrestling uh, show on. Access TV is great, but I don't believe every wrestler, every uh, cable company carries that. And I believe you got to find it somewhere on the internet for certain places. I know they used to have a Twitch, but I'm not sure if they're still on Twitch anymore. So I don't know. I watch it on Access TV. I can't really like like say anything about where else they are able to be found at. But that's the only complaint that I do have for them. They need to be completely just out here, just watch, like be on different programming shows. Uh, networks to be out here like that. Um, Impact needs to get more other like big names as well. Again, they got Moose, uh, W. Morrissey, um, Eddie Edwards, Eric Young, Matt Cardona. Um, who else? I want to say Rich Swan, uh, Heath. Uh, Rhino isn't a main eventer no more, so I'm not going to do that, but he is still a good, like, name, and you can put him anywhere, and he'll do what he got to do for that. Uh, who else? Um, Chris Bay, I can see him being the future of the company. Ace Austin is also, uh, the future of the company for Impact Wrestling as well. Uh, who else is there? Uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure right at this present moment, but with those names... Impact needs more bigger names just for the wrestling world and every other wrestling uh, fan can really take Impact serious and actually want to watch the product. That's all I'm saying. They need to bring in other big names, continue this uh, partnership that they have with AEW, continue this partnership that they have with New Japan, continue this partnership that they have with AAA. Shoot, bring in certain luchadors from AAA to uh, do what they got to do and let's uh, build up the name and price on Impact Wrestling so people can actually want to see and watch Impact Wrestling. That's all I'm getting at with Impact. That's my only criticism for them. Now on to the big granddaddy himself. Monday Night Raw. Three hours. Vinny Max, baby boy. Vinny Max, flagship brand of the WWE uh, banner. The WWE whole like building in their whole business model. Monday Night Raw is a complete snores fest for three hours. Monday Night Raw needs to get better at that. I don't know who's the writers. I don't know who's the people in charge. Well, we obviously know Vince is, but I don't know like who else is like truly and truly in charge of Monday Night Raw, who's writing the storylines and all this type of stuff for it. My whole thing is that Raw needs to get better and I mean it needs to get better quickly because if you want to continue to have snore fests for your shows, I don't know how people are even buying the tickets for them. Yes, I understand that it's three hours. It's hard to come up with programming every week for three hours. 
Do you not know the roster that you have Monday Night Raw? I can pull up the roster now, and your roster consists of AJ Styles, Akira Tozawa, Alexa Bliss, who's been gone for a good bit, Angelo Darkins, Apollo Crews, Austin Theory, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Big E, Bobby Lashley, Carmella, Cedric Alexander, Chad Gable, Commander Aziz, Damian Priest, Dana Brooke, Dolph Ziggler, Dominic Mysterio, Dewdrop, Edge, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Liv Morgan, MVP, Maurice who pops up here and there as Mrs. Uh, manager, Montez Ford, Nikki A.S.H., Omas, Otis, Queen Selena, R-Truth, Randy Orton, Reggie, formerly known as Reginald, Rey Mysterio, Rhea Ripley, Riddle, Robert Roode, Seth Rollins, Shunt Benjamin, T-Bar, Tamina, The Miz, and Veer Mahan, who hasn't debuted yet on Monday Night Raw. See, I just gave you that list of talent that you have on Raw. I can give you out of this list right now, men that can, men and women that can actually show up and show out on Monday Night Raw on a weekly to week basis. AKA, as in being AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley, Biggie, Street Profits, Apollo Crews, Austin Theory. If you give him out of this whole stupid uh, storyline, did you have him being the teacher's prep? pet of Vince McMahon. Trust me, you can do it a better way than him just trying to impress Vince. You guys can do it a better way. Becky Lynch, she can go and do a 30-minute match if you want her to do it. Bianca Belair, the same thing. Uh, Cedric Alexander, you guys haven't tapped into his potential. 205 Live, whenever the Cruiserweight Classic started, and they started at 205 Live after that, Cedric Alexander putting on great matches. On that program, you can give Cedric Alexander the ball. Give Chad Gable the ball. We've seen what he's able to do. Damian Priest, he has matches weekly basis for the United States Championship. You guys could easily put Cedric in there with Damian a couple times. Shelton Benjamin and Damian Priest, guarantee you, give you a banger of a match too. Dolph Ziggler, his resume already speaks for himself. He can go out there and deliver matches. Edge, still beat up on the body a little bit, so you got to use him sparingly, but throw him in from time to time. Don't just let him collect a paycheck like that. Don't do that. Finn Balor. Great, great physical specimen. You could easily put him into matches and let him throw, go out there and just show out. Kevin Owens, the same thing. We know his body of work. Um, Randy Orton, we know his body of work too. So you know you could throw him out there for a good 30 minutes. And you know you could just let him rock out and straight up just let him just do his thing. Rey Mysterio, the same thing. Riddle, he is phenomenal as a in-ring competitor, and also as a character. Robert Roode, give him the ball. Give him a run as a great United States champion, or give him as a credible championship world heavyweight WWE championship contender. Robert Roode is credible. WWE just happens not to want to, like, give it to him. I don't understand that. Seth Rollins, come on. You know he can do the job. You know he can carry the product. He's already done gauntlet matches and it's carried on and it kept people interested. And I believe the gauntlet match lasted about a complete solid hour. Come on. Seth Rollins, he can do the job. 
Same thing with T-Bar, formerly known as Dominic Dijakovic, or formerly known as Dominic Dijak in the independent circuit. He can show out in the ring. You got to give the people the ball. And The Miz, he is great on the mic, as we all know. Give him the microphone and just let him be on commentary and have him show up from time to time and just talk his garbage on the mic. Rhea Ripley, give her somebody in the ring like a Bianca or a Becky Lynch from time to time and let her go out there and just put on credible matches. Shoot, we haven't seen Rhea in Dewdrop yet. Put those two out there. Throw something out there for the people to like really bite onto for these three hours. You could easily mix in matches with backstage segments and interviews that actually carry on legitimate and actual like great storylines whenever you actually have the writers to actually make the storylines real credible. See, that's the problem with Raw. Raw is lacking in credible storylines. It's missing that Roman Reigns-esque storyline that SmackDown has. If Roman was on Raw, Roman will be able to save Raw. But I don't want Roman on Raw, to be honest with you. I don't because we had Roman on Raw for a long time. And he's only been on SmackDown literally for the past, what, three, almost going on three years now because he got drafted over in 2019 over to SmackDown. And he's been on SmackDown ever since. But technically, at the beginning of 2020, he had to dip out because COVID ran rampant. And then that's whenever they got the Thunderdome. And he came back in August, mid-August. So, Raw is missing that Roman Reigns-esque storyline. And I can tell you right now, I can pitch you something right now. You can have Seth Rollins carry the ball. I'm not saying for him to beat Big E for the WWE Championship, but you could have him literally just be a menace and run up a muck on Raw. And that'll keep everybody entertained, especially with his drip god visionary persona that he's on right now. That man is a menace when he wants to do it. Him running up and raiding Edge's uh, house is still one of the best segments on WWE television this year, in my personal opinion, hands down. He walks in and just say, screw your house. He walks in, opens up your refrigerator, takes your food, keeps your refrigerator door open. He ain't even caring about nothing. Seth Rollins is easily one of the best characters, literally, on WWE as a whole. And you mean to tell me you can't put him on television like that and just basically run amok? You could easily do that. Or you could have the Hurt Business dominate like they did in 2020, but this time in front of the fans and actually let the fans get to enjoy the Hurt Business in person. Ta-da! You can do a lot of different things on Monday Night Raw for those three hours to keep people entertained. You can even have the Hurt Business try to acquire the services of Bianca Belair to have her join the Hurt Business and then her have that complication between her wanting to join the Hurt Business but her husband, Montez Ford, telling her not to join the Hurt Business and then you can have the Hurt Business going against the Street Profits and have that be a thing. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm throwing out just a couple things that will keep people just interested as a storyline purpose right there three hours you can easily cut the tension and do it but you just gotta be willing to want to do it and i'm not sure that you guys want to do it from time to time some of these storylines are garbage and you just want to finish them off for your own uh purpose or whatever the case may be but that's my biggest thing with raw three hours being a complete snooze fest some of your raw shows 
hit this year. Not going to lie, some of them hit, some of them were missed. You had more misses than hits, but you had some hits this year. What I'm going to say right now is about to not even be like, even be remotely critical or even be like surprising anybody. When you guys started off the beginning of the year, the biggest storyline on Raw was literally The Fiend and Randy Orton. Right? That is what everybody wanted to see every week when they turn on Raw. The Fiend and Randy Orton to see how this storyline will progress. We get Randy Orton burning The Fiend's body. The Fiend is now off television. Alexa is now having The Fiend's power, doing everything. The Fiend comes back fast lane. We building it up to WrestleMania. We get to Mania. Fiend going against Orton. Fiend loses because of one RKO, but also because of the distraction off of Alexa Bliss, who's now sitting on top of a box who has acquired all of the Fiend's power. And the next night, the Fiend, well, not the Fiend, Bray Wyatt comes out and he talks about how he's going to be on Raw and now this and that, blah, blah, blah. Never seen from him again. We get told that he is cut months later and splat out. Alexa is still with the Fiend's power. Now Alexa is gone because we don't know what she's doing. We don't know if it's a mental health issue. We don't know what type of situation it is. But only thing I do know is that we are waiting for Alexa Bliss to come back. And ta-da! We're waiting to see if she's still going to have the Fiend power or she's going to be back to old Alexa Bliss, the uh, five feet of fury Alexa Bliss. See, that's my thing. We don't know. A Raw has no idea. But what I'm do hoping is that they hurry up and figure out what they want to do and get it right for these next year coming up. Raw needs to get better. I want them to get better because Raw is a great program when you actually do it right. For three hours with that much roster, guess what? You can easily put these wrestlers or personalities on television and have them do things on television to keep people entertained, whether it be a backstage vignette, whether it be a backstage segment, whether it be a backstage interview, whether it be an interview in front of the crowd, whether it be them being guest commentator on the uh, for a match or something and keep people entertained literally at home, or you could have them literally wrestle 30 or 20 minutes on a Raw. Ta-da! It's not that hard to do, but you got to want to do it. That's my biggest critique with Raw. Quit being a snore fest for the love of God so people can actually enjoy your product. Now, with all that being said, before I get you guys out of here, I want to list off a couple things that I noted down myself. And here's my, like, awards, or not even awards, here's my thing for WWE and AEW. For WWE, I got uh, Wrestler of the Year, Roman Reigns. And what I mean by Wrestler of the Year, I mean... His matches didn't miss, not one beat. His matches were always entertaining for literally the whole 12 months. Literally, the whole entire 12 months. Roman Reigns had great matches all year round. He didn't miss, whether it be him going against Kevin Owens in their series of matches, him going against Edge and Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, him going against Edge and Money in the Bank, him going against John Cena at SummerSlam, him going against Brock Lesnar at Saudi Arabia show, him going against Big E as Survivor Series. Roman Reigns didn't miss this year as a wrestler in his matches. Him going against Cesaro at WrestleMania Backlash, that didn't miss at all. So y'all can, I'm not sure if y'all gonna hate on that, but that's just what it is. 
character of the year for WWE, Seth Rollins, the visionary slash drip god. Seth Rollins was the man in character. When I say character of the year, I mean his character was literally on point. The promo work, the backstage work, whether it was having him in vignettes, him embodying and giving himself into that character, it worked fully for Seth Rollins. So Seth Rollins, as the drip god, the visionary, that character did not miss. And I'm not saying other characters on WWE weren't good, but Seth Rollins was just basically way above. Total Package. Total Package is literally wrestler and character all rolled up into one. Their matches were great, and the character fit them completely like a glove. And that goes to none other than Roman Reigns. Again, Roman Reigns' character fit him like a glove. This is the Roman that we wanted for years. This is the Roman that we wanted after the Shield broke up. We wanted the cool, suave Roman Reigns that would come in, kick your face off, beat you up, say a couple of sly, cool words, be that cool guy that he is, and that's it. Roman Reigns was literally, and still is, the whole entire package when you look at a wrestler in the main event status spot. Roman Reigns is what it is. He is the guy. Period. Tag team of the year. The New Day. They were literally a team for the whole entire year. You might say, what about RK Bro? RK Bro was only a team, what, in June to the June throughout the year? That's half of the year. The New Day literally were a team for the whole 12 years straight. Not 12 years, 12 months straight. So the New Day gets this. Match of the year. NXT TakeOver 36, Walter versus Ilya Dragunov for the UK title. That match was the one. Now, you might say, what about Roman versus Edge at Money in the Bank? Or what about uh, Edge and uh, Seth Rollins at Saudi Arabia? Or Edge versus Seth Rollins at SummerSlam? Hey, all those are great matches. Or Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan's last match in WWE. All those matches are great. But... Walter vs. Ilya Dragunov, it exceeded their previous match that they had on NXT UK that the WWE had to bring over these two, over from the UK, over to WWE in America, on American soil, and have them on the WWE U, uh, NXT America version, and have it on the big stage, their TakeOver, TakeOver 36, and we had Ilya defeat Walter in ending his long reign. And he even had Ilya making Walter tap out, which is a hard feat to do. Watch that match. You will not be disappointed. I promise you. Especially if you like two people just beating the ever-loving snot out of each other. That's a match you definitely want to see. Pay-per-view of the year for WWE. Money in the Bank this year. This was the first pay-per-view of WWE this year that had fans in attendance in this match, and not this match, this pay-per-view had everybody just basically hyped up because people wanted to see Roman versus Edge. You get that. You get the money in the bank for both women and men. You had Bobby Lashley going against Kofi, which basically was a squash. Let's call spade a spade. You had people hyped up. You had even AJ Styles and Omos going against the Viking Raiders. And that tag team match was great. It was better than what it was supposed to be. Let's be honest with you. That pay-per-view had fans cheering and waiting. Couldn't wait to see. And it had the whole match. Not the whole match, but the whole 
pay-per-view, just a whole of buzz. People were loving that pay-per-view, period. Because this was the first pay-per-view that fans were actually able to see and be in attendance since WrestleMania earlier this year. So, again, pay-per-view of the year to me, money in the bank. Woman of the year for WWE, Bianca Belair. Is This one was simple and easy. If you don't have Bianca Belair as your woman of the year for WWE, you are bugging. You're a liar. I don't trust you at all because Bianca was the woman of the year for WWE. She was literally the woman of the year. She was at the ESPYs, her and Sasha Banks. She was carrying the SmackDown uh, women's division as Bayley was gone, and now she had to carry that on her shoulders. She did that with Sasha as well, but Bianca Belair was able to carry that momentum, same momentum that she had on SmackDown over to Raw and be the EST on Raw and still carry Raw's women's division. I mean, Bianca Belair is carrying the women's division on the main roster. Let's just call it spade a spade. And she's not even done yet. She hasn't even hit her prime yet. She is still, quote unquote, new, new to the roster, to the main roster. So, Bianca Belair still got years to go if she does want to continue to do this for years to come. But I think she does because I don't see her quitting no time soon. But she's the woman of the year, and I expect her to be probably the woman of the year this upcoming year. The way that WWE cares for Bianca Belair, I can see them really caring for her next year as well. Likely to have a great 2022. And this award is going out to the person that hasn't been on television as much in 2021. And I feel that they're going to give this person a lot of TV time and an opportunity to make themselves stand out above the rest of the crowd. So it's not your main eventers. It's not your already your guys in the middle mid card. These are guys that you rarely see on television. And I give it a ricochet. And you might say, Gerald, he's in the mid card. No, he's not. No, he's not. Let's be honest. Ricochet. He's not in the mid-card at all. He is a disappearing guy. They put him in for these battle royals for them to for him to do something, and he does it for this last bit of time that he's been on television or on pay-per-view or something. He's was the last guy to be thrown out out of the um, battle royal and Survivor Series on the 12 uh, Days of Christmas gauntlet match that just happened yesterday on SmackDown. He was the last guy to be eliminated. And it looks like they want to do something with Ricochet in the future of 2022. So I'm going to give it to Ricochet. It looks like they want to do something with him. I'm hoping that he actually is the one to beat Shinsuke Nakamura and him just having that Intercontinental Championship would do credible things for Ricochet. And hopefully with SmackDown being the wrestling brand that it is, you get Ricochet to wrestle constantly or a good bit of times to elevate that Intercontinental Championship to the way it should be and the way that Ricochet definitely can make that Intercontinental Championship mean something and bring it back to the relevancy that it desperately needs. Now to AEW. Their wrestler of the year, to me, Kenny Omega. 12 months constantly. Never had a miss of a match. Him going against Phoenix at the beginning of the year. Him and the Good Brothers going against uh, some guys on Imp... Not some guys. God, that's disrespectful. Going against Rich Swan, Chris Saban, and Moose on Impact. Uh, Kenny Omega going against Christian on both Rampage and All Out. Him going against Hangman on Full Gear. Him doing a triple threat match against Orange Cassidy and Pack at Double or Nothing. Kenny Omega in... Re- oh, my God. Him going against Brian Danielson at Grand Slam. Dude, come on. Kenny Omega, if he's not your wrestler of the year, 
I don't know what to tell you. You might say Brian Danielson is the rest of the year. You might say somebody else. No, you can't do that because Brian Danielson came in literally about September. You can't give him rest of the year because he's been there just for a couple of months. No, you can't do that. You got to have literally the whole 12 months to consider somebody the wrestler of the year. Kenny Omega's that. Let's just call a spade a spade for AEW. Character of the year. Same criteria. Character, somebody that's character fits them like a glove. It did the job in everything from backstage vignettes to interviews and everything else. I give it Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy's character is that good. It got character, uh, not even say character development because he's the same character, same lazy guy that's like a slouch. He's like a, uh, uh, what is it? a sloth, and he's good in the ring when he wants to try. And that's the thing. Not that when he wants to succeed. No, they say Orange Cassidy is going to try. So Orange Cassidy can wrestle in the ring. We know he can do this. We know he's had some close calls of uh, almost winning championship matches here and there and this year. So again, Orange Cassidy's character, it fits him perfectly. It's a total package for AEW. Same thing, same criteria. is With wrestling and your character, fits you like a glove. And it goes to MJF without a shadow of a doubt. For 12 months, constantly, MJF has been a complete, total dick. But it is a dickhead that you actually want to see get his butt kicked. And you actually want to see it. You will pay money to see it. You were begging to see him get his butt kicked. But you are entertained by his comments that he's able to throw out his quick wit. His uh, vocabulary that he's able just to throw out to people whenever he wants to do it. MGF is that guy, period. MGF is literally the future of AEW. I don't see him going to WWE anytime soon. He could say he's starting a bidding war in the year 2024. He might. He might stick up AEW for a lot of money, but he's going to stay in AEW. He's not going over to WWE. He reads the tea leaf. He's able to see what WWE is doing to all their people over there. It ain't happening. He is staying over in AEW. So anybody that's questioning, is he going to go to WWE in 2024? There's no need to question that. Max ain't going nowhere. But again, Max MJF is a great package. He's the total package of AEW of this year. And I promise you, I'm telling you, he is the one to watch out for. Not in 2022, because we know he's going to have a great 2022, but just in the rest of... uh, AEW's future. He is literally one of the strongest pillars that they actually do have in AEW. Tag team of the year, the Young Bucks. Started off this year as good guys, but then they switched over to teaming up with Kenny Omega and then showing off to be complete jackrabbits and just be complete like dummies and just acting so stupid, wearing colorful, I mean like really, really like dumb, dumb colors in their, like, regular gear, not in their wrestling gear, but in their regular, like, street gear. They show off their new shoes that they be wearing. They really promote that they're wearing, like, expensive shoes as they're wrestling. I mean, in their matches, they never missed a tag team match this year. It wasn't a miss at all. Them going against the Lucha Brothers, them going against um Jurassic Express, them having their match against SCU, them going against... Even the acclaimed at the beginning of the year. Great tag team matches. And also, them going against John Moxley and uh, Eddie Kingston at Double or Nothing. Another great tag team match. With two brawlers to go against a great tag team. Great tag team match. 
great tag team uh, to go against. I mean, Young Bucks didn't have a miss. Um, match of the year, to me, and this is strictly to me, CM Punk going against Eddie Kingston at full gear. They only had two weeks worth of build, and now is the match everybody truly wanted to see besides uh, Hangman going against Kenny Omega and him, Hangman beating Kenny Omega. Everybody wanted to see what CM Punk and Eddie Kingston were going to do. And the first 10 seconds of that match happened, Eddie Kingston backfist the soul out of CM Punk. And you just see Eddie Kingston just yell into the sky of complete, like, like it was a complete euphoric for him just to hit that backfist on CM Punk and have CM Punk drop to the ground. I mean, by God, that match is something. With two weeks worth of build up, only two weeks being the match that everybody wants to see, that's a hard feat to pull off. And these two men were able to pull it off. And again, that's just my match of the year to me for AEW. That's just mine. Pay-per-view of the year, full gear. That goes without saying. I just went over how CM Punk and Eddie Kingston was the match of the year, and that came from full gear. You had Darby Allen going against MGF to start to show off. Great match. You had FTR going against Lucha Brothers. Great match. You had the closing matchup of... Hangman going against Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship and Hangman winning that and you had the closing of this well the closing of one chapter right now of the the elite saga where you had the Young Bucks coming out there and they gave the head nod to Hangman so he could end Kenny Omega and win the title again full gear was a great pay-per-view if you missed it try to find it somewhere trust me there's other ways you can find it without going to fight or whatever I don't want to say where you could go and find them because I personally don't know, but you can probably do a lot of digging on the web and you can find some of these matches there. Um, but Full Gear was a great pay-per-view. Woman of the Year, Britt Baker. I don't need to go into much detail. Britt Baker was Woman of the Year for AEW. And I have a feeling that with the TBS Championship coming in in uh, January the 5th of 2022, we're going to have a competing uh, dual ship between the AEW World Championship for the women and the TNT TBS Championship for uh, AEW. And personally, I want to see how that's going to work personally for me. I do, because that's interesting that you already are now about to have two women's championships. And I understand that their uh, roster is going to be growing bigger as it always has been doing. but. With two women championships, you're going to have two women basically vying out for who is the top dog in the women's division. And you know that they're going to have a match probably going against each other yearly. The women's champion going against the TBS champion. So I just want to see how that's going to work next year in 2022. And likely to have a great 2022. Again, somebody that was not on television a lot this year. And I'm going to give it off to Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks had a great 2021 when it started off. It was him and Brian Cage going against Darby and Sting at Revolution in their um, cinematic match where people were raving about that match. He had a nice little feud with Brian Cage where um, he won the FTW title. But before that feud, he injured his neck and he had to sit out and be on the bench where he commentated on AEW Dark. He was on commentary for some of the AEW Dynamite shows. He was on commentary for a lot of the uh, AEW Rampage shows. But Ricky Starks was on 
only in the ring for a certain amount of time in AEW uh, this year because they wanted to keep him healthy. I have a feeling that in 2022, Ricky Starks is going to be on television a lot more, and we're going to see him show off and really show what Ricky Starks can do for AEW as a whole, as a company. And for me personally, I can't wait because I like Ricky Starks. I knew him from the independent stuff, more specifically from his days in NWA, like literally probably like a couple months before he got into AEW. So again, Ricky Starks is going to be the one to watch out for in 2022. Not saying that AEW don't have a lot of people to watch out for. We know MGF is going to have a good 2022. We know Hangman is going to have a good 2022. We know Adam Cole is going to have a good 2022. We know Dante Martin is going to have a good 2022 because they are putting a lot of eggs into the Dante Martin basket. Um, we know the Young Bucks. We know um, FTR. We know the team of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly because they just acquired them. I mean, AEW as a whole entire roster is going to have a great 2022 looking forward. I just picked Ricky Starks because Ricky Starks, to me, looks like he can stand head and shoulders above certain individuals and that Ricky Starks needs to be that star that he's destined to be in my eyes. So, that's the reason why I picked Ricky Starks. But those are my uh, awards, if you will, for those categories for WWE and AEW. Now with that, let me get you guys out of here. Uh, give you my social media links. My Twitter is at my two podcast. Instagram my two cents podcast G two. Uh, my email. Since today is Christmas time, if you need somebody to email, I am here. My email is always open. My email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. N Y the number two C E N T S P O D at yahoo.com. Remember, this is for if you want to just email me about anything. Remember, today's Christmas. I want everybody to have a great Christmas. I want you guys to please be safe out here on the roads. If you are out here on the roads, for the love of God, because things can happen to anybody and anything. And we don't want um, disasters to happen to people on these roads. Please be safe. I want everybody to have a great Christmas, great holidays. You'll hear from me uh, tomorrow for my sunday uh episode if you don't hear from me sunday well if you don't want to listen to sunday's episode you will hear from me next week on the first uh week's edition the first year's technically edition on wrestling highlights of the week for 2022 but with that i have been g2 he is i i am him this has been wrestling highlights of the year uh i love you all i hope you guys check me out tomorrow oh yeah thank you to apple google podcast uh Podbean, Amazon Music, and also Audible for giving me these platforms so you guys can hear from me. I do appreciate it so much. You guys could kick me off, but you guys have it. You guys can rock it with the kid. I love it. Um, thank you. Have a great holiday. Lord God, do we all need to be safe out here? Please be safe. Please. And with that, Kanye, can you please take us home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.